The Rangers' playoff hopes and defenseman Jacob Truba took a nasty hit Tuesday night. We'll dive into what losing the veteran defenseman could mean for the team going forward and how it'll impact the lineup. The post Larry Brooks will help us break down the rest of the Rangers' schedule and what would need to happen to earn a playoff berth. And our special guest this week is Hockey Hall of Famer and former Rangers defenseman Brad Park. All that and more is next on episode 53 of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon is where you subscribe. Apple Podcasts, go in there now, rate us five stars, write in a nice review. We appreciate your support all season long. Joining the show this week in his weekly spot will be the New York Post, Larry Brooks. We'll also be joined by a friend of the program, Hockey Hall of Famer, Rangers great, Brad Park. But now, here they are, your stars of the show. It's the New York Post own Molly Walker and Rangers great number 10, Ron Duguay. Hi, Jake. Hi, everyone. Jake, I love your energy. A week has gone by. We still have a lot to talk about when it comes to Rangers. They beat the Devils four straight. A lot of momentum. Looking good. Then they go play the Islanders. Expectations were high. Me, unlike Molly, I still thought that they can still make the playoffs, but they need to beat the Islanders to catch the Bruins. But the Bruins are getting hot. And so anyways, today's show, you know, we try to keep it positive. Today, I brought in a guest that's a friend of mine, Brad Park, Hall of Fame, and is probably the smartest hockey guy I know. So when we're trying to make sense of some things are going on, I bring in Brad. And so I talk to him. So he'll be on the show. And of course, we have the great Larry Brooks. So a lot to talk about today. But right now, I'm still trying to figure out what the heck happened against the Islanders 6-1. to one. I know the Islanders are a well-coached team, a good team. They're going to be tough to beat in the playoffs. But why the Rangers not prepared to play that game, I'm not quite sure. Maybe someone can help me. Molly, Molly, please, what the heck did you see? What was I missing? What happened to that game against the New York Islanders? I think after getting away with four wins over the Devils, the last two of which were a little too close for comfort, in my opinion, the Rangers were definitely humbled by a playoff-ready Islander squad. The team's big guns and Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, Pavel Buchnevich, who did carry a bulk of the offense against New Jersey, were virtually non-existent Tuesday night. Even though Brendan Smith finished the game a minus three, he played his heart out and, and played like the team's playoff chances depended on it. And when Brendan Smith is your most active player, that's an issue for the Rangers. But the worst loss of the night was Jacob Truba. He went to the locker room halfway through the first period after just getting demolished by Matt Martin. Truba had leveled Martin earlier in the period, and then Martin really just returned the favor and then some. And judging by the way Truba was disoriented and wobbly trying to get up on his skates, it's likely he suffered a concussion. And David Quinn has already ruled him out for Thursday night, and he is considered 
day to day. I can't explain it enough how big of a loss Truba is during the most important stretch of the season. He's just been that physical presence for them, really laying on the hits and allowing them to stay competitive with the heavier teams in the division. He doesn't always stand out, and I'll be the first to say I, I didn't really notice his contributions earlier in the season, but the last week or two, he really has been a presence on the ice. And Truba has also stepped into a leadership role this season. It's it's one of the underrated things that he's taken on in his second season with the Rangers. Keandre Miller has spoken really highly of him, and, and so has the rest of the team, honestly, pointing out that he's taken these younger guys under his wing and offering up advice. He stepped up during the second intermission of the first game against the Devils when David Quinn opted not to come into the locker room, and he rallied the troops, got them back on track. So... All in all, just aside from the 6-1 to one loss, losing Jacob Truba, I think, was even worse. And just heading down this stretch here, you know, like you said, I have been a Debbie Downer. I kind of have always reserved that I just don't see it happening for the Rangers this season. So we'll see. We'll see, Ron. Well, you're proven to be right. The one thing I saw, and I think a message was sent by Coach Quinn to certain players, the physical play started to pick up. Smith was playing with an edge, finally really playing with an edge, playing angry. Truba taking bodies. Kreider actually gets in a fight. So the New Jersey battle, there was a lot of speed out there, but there was physical play. And I thought, you know what? There's, there's, there'll be a carryover into the Islander game because they're going to need it, especially the first 10 minutes. You know, set the tone, get some big hits out there. And you didn't see any of it. So you, you wonder who's to blame for that? Because I was, it was really, it was surprising to me because I thought, you know what? Because they're competing to make the playoffs, they're really that close. They they can do it. We didn't see it. The Islanders are well, well coached and well prepared team. You can see it, and that makes it. You see the difference there. And so, as much as uh, disappointing that is, now I guess they they have to be thinking moving forward ten games. What is it that they're trying to do? Of course, they want to win games as many games as possible. So do you think that we may see Zach Jones in the lineup? Well, I definitely can say that I expect him to be in the lineup on Thursday. After speaking to David Quinn on Wednesday, he did say that he was definitely a candidate. And the fact that we also got to speak to Jones himself always kind of alludes to a strong possibility that we are going to see him in the lineup. But the fact that the Rangers lost Truba... Kana is going to shuffle the uh, defensive pairings here a little bit, and it's probably not a bad thing considering how some things went down in the defensive core the last two games. If we look at head coach David Quinn's decision to stick with Anthony, Anthony Potato over Libor Hayek in the last two games, it really was not... I don't know how to say this in in an unbiased journalistic way, but it was just not, uh, it was an ill-advised decision. I mean, look, Anthony Potato is a great homegrown story. Grew up a Rangers fan on Long Island. One of the, my favorite features I've written was on Potato and what playing for the Rangers means to him. No knack on the player. I think he can make cont- contributions, but he was not good in the last game against the Devils. He was on the ice for the two goals that tied the game in the third period Sunday. And Quinn gave him just one shift over the final 14 minutes of the game and then benched him for the last eight and a half minutes. But Quinn stayed with him for the Islanders game. And I know we've seen Quinn doesn't like to mess with a winning lineup no matter what. But the way I see it is that there should be a balance of playing the most competitive lineup, but also taking a risk with the young developing players. 
Quinn has said it before, he has to answer to the room. And that's why we haven't seen Zach Jones yet. Zach Jones has only played against college-level competition, and the Rangers are in too vulnerable of a spot to be giving him a run when every game has their chances for the playoffs on the line. But obviously now with this injury to Jacob Truba, it is looking like Zach Jones will make his NHL debut on Thursday. And he was getting some reps on the second power play unit Wednesday during practice, I saw. And, you know, with Libor Hayek, you know, he's made strides this season, no doubt. And I think he played in 20 straight games before he was scratched for Boteto. But if you look at the lackluster performance from Boteto, there is no answering to the room with going back to Hayek because Boteto should learn from that performance. But also Hayek is a young piece that needs to be fostered. I mean, but I see like, you know, you know, answering to the room, you know, like I think that's a, a concept that I obviously don't have any insight into. And I am really curious to like hear what you think about that. I, I think coaches need to answer to themselves. <laughs> you could put blame towards players because ultimately they're the ones that are doing it on the ice. But preparation is on the coaches. Player selection is on the coaches. How a team comes out and play for the first 10 minutes that's kind of on the coaches. So going into tonight's game, they're playing Philadelphia. Philly's kind of out of it also. So I, I'm going to think, I'm anxious to see how this game's going to play out because I think the coaches know they kind of messed up in not having this team ready. So are they going to play with their game face tonight? Are they going to be angry? Are they going to get this team fired up regardless whether they make the playoffs or not? So I'm anxious to see what the first 10 minutes are going to look like. Only because as a coach, you have pride. And I think overall, Coach Quinn has done well. But that team was not ready for the maybe the most important game of the season, those first 10 minutes. That's embarrassing. You lose 6-1. Hate to go on a rant right now on the on the coaching. Hit, hit it, Ron. <laughs> Big disappointment. And, and part of it is, and we'll talk to Larry about this, but you need – a couple of those guys in your lineup that will start the game will provide that type of energy, the hits and that sort of thing. And the Rangers really don't have it. So I think as they're evaluating their team moving forward, I think they're going to realize now when like Martin takes out Truba, right? Well, do we have a Martin? No. So anyways, <laughs> we want to rant. We want to rant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm anxious to see how this game is going to play out tonight in Philadelphia. Are they going to just play pawn hockey? Or are they going to come out and play angry? That wasn't a rant. I want a rant. Give me a rant. There, I said. Right, well, guys, you look at the <laughs> remaining schedule, you kind of break it down here. Because be when we're back next week, there'll be six games left. And that is truly the final stretch of the season. The Rangers, here's the one thing they do have going for them. Seven are at home, three are on the road, while the Bruins have five home, seven road. Now, the Rangers end their season against the Bruins. So they might be in it without any games left. Because they finish against the Bruins with two, and the Bruins will have two more games after against the Isles and Caps. So uh, this thing could get could get a little interesting. You know, this next week, do you think they could get themselves back in it, get within four? I know Molly's like, no chance, it's over. But I was gonna say that's a question that should be directed at Ron because I, you just everybody listening knows how I felt. I mean, I'm sure I should have been chastised at the beginning of the season when I didn't even have them making the playoffs to start. So, yeah, that's not a question for me. <laughs> My answer after what I saw against the Islanders, flat out no. They were not ready for that game, and they don't necessarily have the players to play that kind of game, and they are not ready. I don't think much is going to change. Boston is going to be possibly the hottest team finishing the not last 10 or so games. I, I said it when they added Hall. You watch this guy. Once you get him out of that losing environment and you put him in Boston – 
with some good coaching, surrounded with some good players and players who know how to win, who talk winning, who show up in the dressing room with the work boots on, that becomes different. And he had it in him. So, and he's scoring. He's going to make a difference. Boston will be one of the hottest teams. You're not going to catch them. I thought maybe, maybe, because the Islanders were a little bit off, maybe catch the Islanders, but they needed to win the last game. That didn't happen. It's not going to happen. They're not going to make the playoffs. They just need to come out and show something more than nice hockey. I want to see more than just pawn hockey. You're 100% right about that. The Islanders were not playing like themselves in the last couple of games there. If there was a time for the Rangers to pounce, it was in the first 10 minutes of that game, just like you're saying, Ron, and they completely let the Islanders set the tone and run away with it. Another thing to note is that the Bruins have four games left against the lowly Buffaloes, which are all but, you know, confirmed wins in my book. And then another two games against the Devils as well. So if you look at the schedule matchup as well, not only do the Bruins have two games in hand, but they have a very easier road to keeping a hold on the playoff spot that they currently occupy. Well, I'm going to come with the dose of positivity here. Let's go Rangers. (laughs) We got, we got five straight home games coming up. Maybe I need to go. I I was there for the start of the Knicks seven game win streak. And that was the first game. So maybe if I go and go to the garden, they got prime rib there. If you're going to the garden, one of these five games, go down to the lower level, 100 level. They do have prime rib. It's the only good food left in the arena. Unless you want, you got to bring your luck, Jake. You got to rub the bald head rub it for good luck. I'm going to get some cocoa butter, give them out around the arena squirt it with the instead of sanitizer we'll just cocoa butter everyone the same effect the yeah. same listen rub the head you get three three wishes in this genie's bald head uh <laughs> if they win five in a row you never know and you know rangers fans for sabers how about that buffalo sabers go sabers go uh larry brooks uh if he if he wants a vacation he won't be rooting for the sabers but if he doesn't he wants to be in the playoffs he'll be rooting for them and he joins up in the blue seats next Up next is probably our most informative part of the show with our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Larry, after Tuesday's loss to the Islanders, the Rangers have fallen six points behind the Bruins, who have two games in hand. They're nine points behind the Penguins and 10 points behind the Isles and Capitals. What are you seeing as their best chance of squeaking into the playoffs right now? What has to happen if it can at all? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me who has to lose. Tell me the points. Larry, I want to hear it. They have 10 games left. They've got to win 10 games. To get into what the other teams need to do, they, they just can't afford to lose and not very realistic at this point. But I think it's it's important for them to finish strong. I, I, I do think that. I, I think it's important for them to play well the rest of the year. And um, I, I think it's important. I think it's important for them to play in a structure so that management has these 10 games, another 10 games to evaluate them. I thought the game against the Islanders was very instructive. I think games like that are valuable when management and hierarchy is going to be making critical decisions this summer. So um, I think everyone's playing for a job next year. I think I think everyone's playing um, for a spot. And uh, whether they make the playoffs or not, and I, and I don't think they will, 
is almost secondary to the way they finish the season. I think it's um, it's important for a lot of guys to finish well. And after watching that Islanders team, I'm curious how legitimate do you think their chances are of winning the Stanley Cup? I think they're a very good team. You know, can they beat Carolina in a best of seven? I don't know. Can they beat Tampa in a best of seven? I don't know. Can they beat Washington in a best of seven? I would take. I you know I, I would I would like the Islanders' chances. I like the Islanders' chances to get out of this division. Whether they can advance beyond that, who knows? You know, there, there's so many, there are so many variables once you get into the playoffs. But they have outstanding goaltending. Their defense is a, is a blend of, of talent and physicality. They're not going to be outworked. They're not going to be beaten on details. I guess the question is, as it, as it was to a large degree last season, will they score the goal when it's 2-2 in the third period? You know, when they're ahead two to one, will they extend the lead to three to one? I, th- I think that's the question. I think um, they're still I think they're still trying to fit Zajac and, and Palmieri into the structure. It's not necessarily easy for players who have, especially Zajac, who has been with one team for his entire career. It's not necessarily easy to just make the transition uh, one day to the next. And I think I think that's important for the Islanders to get Palmieri and Zajac into some sort of a comfort zone. Remember last year when they got Pajot, they didn't win a game with Pajot. I think it was seven, right? And before the pause, he had a tough time adapting. And, and it was it was only after they had a couple of months off and then reconvened that he became an integral part of the team. So I, I do like the Islanders, though. Larry, I'd like to back up going to the four games that the Rangers won against New, New Jersey. And New Jersey right now may be the easiest team to beat in the NHL because of the moves they've made, but still the Rangers played four good games against them. And going into the Islander game, I think as if you're a Ranger fan, you had belief that they're going in there with a lot of confidence. But it wasn't confidence to me that was missing. It was something else. And can you put a finger on what you think was missing What's missing on this Ranger team to play a team like the Islanders and establishing something in the first 10 minutes that wasn't there? What do you think is missing when you think looking for going forward? Well, I thought the Islander game reinforced what I have been writing, thinking, at least back to last August, probably before that. And it's that they're too homogeneous a group. They're too reliant on skill. They don't have enough grit in their lineup. And Ronnie, you have, you have brought up a number of times this year, the energy player. When I think of an energy player, I'm not looking for them to get an energy player on their fourth line. I'm not. I'm not looking for them to get an energy player on their third line. I'm looking for that kind of a player on their top two lines because their top two lines drive the team. They, they do. I mean, they're, they're the team. They're the, they're the team identity. And when those guys are rolling, they're a very, very impressive team. And these are, we're talking about high-end players. Our Temi Panarin is a great player. Mika Zibanejad is an, has elite skill, and he can be dominant. But when the Rangers run into teams that just game plan against Panarin and game plan against Zibanejad, and they take away their time and space, the Rangers, ha- the Rangers don't seem to be able to adapt. And they don't, they don't have another trick up their sleeve. It's, it's like, we're going to beat you with talent, or we're going to lose. 
it's it's kind of one or the other. Or, you know, we'll beat you with, with a spectacular game from our goaltender. They don't have the ingredients to play another way. Those are the those are the ingredients that Jeff Gorton, John Davidson, Chris Drury, the, the hierarchy is going to have to find a way to obtain sooner or later. And I think <laughs> the sooner the better. I think they have to reimagine the team because, again, this is a fun team to watch when they're going. You know, I mean, who doesn't love, you know, watching Panarin and Strom break down two on one? Who doesn't love, you know, watching Zibanejad score on a, on a backhand breakaway? But that's, that's not always available. They have to add some of that toughness, some of that grit, some of that energy. And it has to be, in my opinion, on the top two lines. Because they need, they, they need another way to beat you. Right now, they only can beat you one way. Well, I'm just going to add, me personally, my thoughts on that. Because I've been in the dressing room in a situation like that where the game, the start of the game is really important. I don't care who's in the dressing room. All I know is the coach's job is to get those players ready, knowing that either you play a certain way, you play with energy, finish your check in the first 10 minutes, establish a tone. If you don't do it, you're not going to play. So I, I know for a fact coaching has to take a big responsibility in knowing how to use those players. I don't care who it is. I don't care if you're a skilled player. You play with energy. Anyways, having said that, Hayek is not in the lineup. And I, you know, you and I had talked about him, and I thought he'd been playing well. All of a sudden, he's out of the lineup. I'm like, what the heck just happened? I'm baffled by that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I am. Listen, I, I, I think it's fair to say his game maybe took a, a bit of a dip last week against the devil. And if you want to, if you want to sit him for one game, fine. Have him, have him, you know, take another look, take a step back, watch the game, and go right back in. And especially when Vitetto, who's a willing guy, he had played like two games in the last two months. Vitetto went in against the Devils and and and, and really had a, had, a, had a very difficult time. <laughs> he just did. And to come back with him, I didn't get it. I recognize the fact that Quinn probably looked at Vitetto as a more physical player and was trying to craft a lineup that would be maybe more suited to playing against a heavy four-check team. But I, you know, I, I just think when you're, when you're looking at a player who really hasn't played much at all, didn't play well, that you're overthinking it. I, 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 that's what I thought. I thought that Quinn just over, was overthinking it, and I thought it was a mistake. Now, I don't, I don't think the sixth defenseman was determinative, but I just didn't understand it. And I just thought David over, overthought it and came up with the wrong answer. Of course, I come up with the wrong answers a lot myself. So. <laughs> Never. What are you talking about? Robin Lehner came out today and just absolutely shredded the NHL, essentially saying players were coerced into getting the vaccine with promises of looser restrictions once they did so. And Lehner said they've been lied to and that they're still in quote unquote a prison. And obviously a big story in the NHL recently has been the Vancouver Canucks and their COVID-19 outbreak that was apparently a more severe strain of the virus that just rampaged the locker room and, and the families of players too. You, you voiced your opinion on how the league handled that situation. So I wanted to give you the floor to kind of elaborate on just the COVID situation in the NHL right now. I haven't seen these remarks by Leonard but they totally catch me off guard. I wrote maybe three weeks ago that the NHL was not going to offer incentives to players for getting vaccinated. Now, I can't say whether Robin Leonard was in communication with the Players Association, whether, whether there's more that's gone on that I don't know about, but I was told by people who knew that the NHL 
was not going to incentivize players, that there was no plan to loosen the protocols. So this completely catches me off guard. I'm, I'm not sure what Robin Leonard is talking about. I, re- I really don't know. As, as far as I know, players are getting vaccinated if they wish. They're not being coerced. Players who are vaccinated do not get any more leeway on the road or at home than, than players who choose not to get vaccinated. So I honest, I, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. I think in general, the league has handled it well. I thought they uh, handled Vancouver poorly. Yeah, well, NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly did tell ESPN that there were discussions with the NHLPA, but no decision to modify has ever been made nor communicated to anyone. So I guess we'll just try to keep a, a pulse on that front. But thanks for the time. As always, Larry, we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Dukes. Our special guest this week is widely considered to be one of the best defensemen of his generation. He spent the first seven seasons of his NHL career with the Rangers and had some of his best years with a 73-point season and an 82-point season. Having also played with the Bruins and Red Wings, he was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1988. He was also briefly on the coaching side of things. And now he's got this new company called Graphic Candles. Please welcome Brad Park. Brad, thanks for taking the time to talk some hockey with us today. Hey, how are you? Great to be here. Brad, I got to ask, you're a hockey guy. How did you get involved in Graphic Candles? (laughs) Well, I'm kind of semi-retired in Florida. My brother-in-law lives down here. He's a kind of a graphic artist. He's an architect by trade. And was doing very well uh, with uh, Art Deco buildings down in uh, South Beach, or the hotels and everything. But with the COVID hit uh, and no crowds and no tourists, uh, he started looking into a candle business and uh, being very creative and research-wise, and started this uh, uh, company called Graphic Candles, uh, GraphicCandles.com, and uh, you know we can specialize and. I do all kinds of different scents. So he's a very creative guy. He went in and uh, uh, did a lot of research, developed the wax that goes in that is basically is smoke-free. So it's kind of an interesting concept. Hey, Brad, it's Ron here. And you mentioned the word creative. Hi. When I think creative and when I think of hockey, I think of Brad Park because of <laughs> I've gotten to play against you and got to know you, got to be on the same team with, with you in Detroit. Um, and so I can I w- could go to you just about talk about anything when it comes to hockey. So a lot in the Ranger news is the Rangers have they've been winning recently, but they've been inconsistent. And they talk about coaching. And a lot of the fans don't quite understand that there's a teaching time period where a coach like Coach Quinn is going through. But a lot of them don't understand. They think he needs to be fired. We need a different kind of coach. And so I'm asking you. As far as coaching, how would you describe a coach that would be a good coach in today's game? Well, I think one of the things about coaching is, is uh, what I've seen over the years is coaches are very good at telling people what to do, but probably very poor at telling them how to do it. Uh, and that's kind of the, the nitty-gritty. As much as you want them to do something and tell them they have to do something, you, you have to tell them how to do it and what the percentages are and why it works. And if you can convince them of why it works, then, uh, you know, when that situation arises, uh, the more experience they get, the more situations they see, 
the quicker they're going to make the right decision. Brad, I think one of the most notable things about your hockey career is that you gave the great Bobby Orr a run for his money. You two were often linked in the press and, and squaring off on the ice, and then you briefly crossed paths with the Bruins, I believe. Could you take us through the evolution of your relationship with Orr and then what it was like to then be wearing the same jersey with him for a brief time? Well, I, I think when I broke in, I, I mean, I never played defense until I was 15, so I was a, I was a forward, I was a left winger. My father always taught me uh, puck control, and uh, so I had these offensive skills. And when I got to New York, Emil Francis was the coach and general manager, and uh, I started to jump into the rush uh, and uh, he was terrific in that he, he didn't put the, you know, the reins on me and pull me back and let me develop that. And playing with the guys like, uh, you know, the gag line and Walter Kachuk and Billy Ferber and Bobby Nevin, uh, you know, very good people with the puck. I learned very quickly that jumping into the rush is fine, but when you get to the other team's blue line, you have to make a decision. Either the odds are with you or the odds are against you. And if the odds were against you, kind of bailed out. You pulled the ripcord. So times to do it and times not to do it. The other thing I did was uh, really work on my offensive skills in practice and playing keep away one puck, two guys, so that you could try to beat somebody in close. Uh, The better you are with a puck in close, uh, because uh, a lot of things happen within a few feet. Uh, the better that you're going to, the more success you're going to have. And in the 1972 Summit Series, when Orr was unable to play due to injury, you had to step up as a leader for Team Canada's series against Russia. You were then named the MVP and the best defenseman of the series. You know, what was that like finding out Orr couldn't play? And did you kind of take that as an opportunity to shine? Well, I think that by that time, uh, uh, I was 24 and Bobby was 24. Uh, his injury wasn't going to allow him to play. Uh, I was cemented in my game. And, uh, you know, I knew when to go and where to go, how to get passes through, how to get shots through. Uh, and, uh, you know, I learned and watched from Bobby when I played against him. Even learned, uh, you know, one of his tricks for, you know, uh, getting uh, the puck to jump without a big backswing. So it was kind of interesting. And when I went to Boston, I w- we played 10 games together. And uh, we were on the point on the power play, and our, our power play was over 50%. Uh, we had uh, Wayne Cashman, John Rattel, and, and John Busick up front. Uh, so you had five guys that would never really panic with the puck and, and, and you know, could thread the puck uh, through skates and over sticks and under sticks. So, and then after those 10 games, Bobby's knee went out, uh, and then the next summer he went to Chicago. Brad, uh, the fact that you're in the Hall of Fame says it all. Um, no James Norris trophy, but you did win the Bill Masterson trophy in Detroit. What did that mean to you towards the end of your career where you win that trophy? It's a sportsmanship, a perseverance, a dedication. What did that mean to you towards the end of your career? Uh, it was you know, it was such a nice topper. And I'm glad I was in Detroit when I won it because Detroit had struggled and you and I got there at the same time, dude. And, uh, you know, they hadn't made the playoffs in in seven years and they hadn't made the playoffs back to back in 17 years. And we got there the same day in the two years that we played together. We we, we made the playoffs. So it was kind of a, uh, you know, a topper to what was happening uh, with us in Detroit at that time. 
I know you played with Ron in Detroit and then later coached him briefly. I'm curious what that transition was like from being his teammate to then an authority figure and how difficult was it to keep him under wraps there? It, it, Ron wasn't difficult to deal with. I remember one time <laughs> I called uh, I called him and John Rattelli and uh, I, uh, you know, I said, you know, guys, uh, a lot of people are concerned because things aren't going your way. The numbers aren't adding up. And, you know, everybody has an opinion. The fans have an opinion. The manager has an opinion. I have an opinion. I want your opinion. <laughs> tell me, tell me what you think. Ron, you know, humbly says, that, you know, I think I just have to work harder. I, you know, and very humbly went through. He's like, I got to work harder. I've got to pay more attention. Well, hey, you know, he, he was, he was self-critical. And, and, you know, what more can you ask, for, you know, from a guy that, you know, he takes it upon himself that he's going to have to do better. And, and that, that was great. Uh, I got a different response from John O'Brodnick, but Dukes gave me the, the you know, response I was looking for. Because with his talent, you know, there's no way I was going to bench him. So, Brad, in, in today's game, there's so much about the analytics, none of it back in our time, even when you, as you played, you, then you became a coach. When you look at, when they talk about plus minus on a guy, does that mean anything to you? If you're trying to evaluate a player and everybody talks, he's a plus, he's a minus. Did it mean much to you? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Uh, uh, I mean, I scouted the Rangers, uh, for the Rangers for five years. And I was more, I never looked at the plus minus. I was more interested if the guy went in the corner and he threw snow, then I was like, wait a minute here, right? If, he, if he's not willing to pay the price, that's not a good sign. That was the type of thing. The other thing I looked at, you know, what he was, uh, you know, his recognition skills, recognizing uh, offensively and defensively, and then his execution skills. Uh, but the first thing is, uh, and, and some guys pulled up and they made the right decision as far as I was concerned. You know, you're you're five foot ten, 190 pounds. You're going to the corner with a guy six four, two thirty five. I'd be throwing snow. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Brad. If if anybody wants to get one of those awesome candles, go to graphiccandles.com. We'll get you back on again soon, Brad. All right, guys. Thanks so much. wrap for episode 53 the lane ulmer edition of up in the blue seats our rangers podcast from the new york post thanks to jake brown and sarah mccrory for producing the show give us that five star rating and write in a nice review on apple Podcasts. we really appreciate it for number 10 ron duguay i'm molly walker we are back again next thursday thanks for listening talk to you next week